So it's not too early to stop talking about the pandemic. I think this is going to be a scar that we unpack for generations, frankly, but I remember as I was going through it with you as a congregation, I felt incredibly stuck. I wonder if you felt stuck. I mean, there was the very real thing about not being able to really go out into the world, especially early on. But then being out there, just at home, wondering what people are thinking, hearing the anger and hurt and confusion from every corner, also having to be my children's teacher. It's just, it was a lot. And it's a lot for everybody. I don't care who you are. I, I admit freely that it got me down more times than I care to admit. And I, I know there's this kind of fantasy that the senior minister is the boss at a church. If you go down the second floor and you ask the kids about it, they, they think that I own the church or that I live here like I'm stuck up in some bell tower haunting the place at night. Jim Bell does that. <laughs> the reality is when you work in a church, whether you're the senior person or not, you work with people. And so when people are stressed in every which way, it all comes in on a point. And I think we all just felt that no matter where we were. People were exhausted and worn out. And then there's the whole politicization of the thing. And I can certainly express to you the truth of my own heart. I, I wasn't operating under any sense of politics, but rather what I felt was God impressing upon me. But it just made everything more difficult. And more times than I'm willing to admit, I found myself just lying on the floor in my den, wondering, what do I do next? So my buddy calls me up. He's another minister, and he felt the same way, and I was kind of complaining and he said he didn't want to hear about it anymore because he was in his own mess and he wanted to talk about something that might lift my spirits. He said, get up off your Philigian and turn on Apple TV Plus right now and watch this new show called Ted Lasso. And I said, oh, that's great. We're looking for something to watch at night. And uh, he said, no, do it now. So I, I downloaded the free Apple trial because I'm cheap and I tried to cram it in in a week. And I did that. And I watched this show. Now, Dee Stone wants me to tell you it's not clean. It's a lot of language and situations that your pastor's not recommending to you. So watch it at your own risk. But it has been a cultural moment to watch this show. And, and the reason why is because at the end of the day, no matter how silly the situation, the show is about kindness. And as I watched it, I would find these moments of, of truth these moments of hope, these moments of gospel through it. Now, I'm not telling you it's a Christian show. At some point, the coach writes the word believe and puts it up on a locker room in another kind of tirade of, of coach, uh, uh, coachisms. He, he just tells people they need to believe. And in fact, he declares, I believe in belief. Theologically and scientifically, that's a silly notion. But nevertheless, you get the point of the show this guy's believing in other people and he's making them better for it. And people are increasing in their goodness because someone is validating their inherent worth. And there was something of a salve for me as I watched the show. The series was meant to be three seasons and it just came to an end. And as I watched it with tears in my eyes as they wrap up the storylines, 
it occurred to me that really Ted Lasso is about one thing. Every single character but one is stuck. They're stuck. And the story is about how they become unstuck. Through the course of the three seasons, each narrative goes in different directions and at different speeds to bring freedom to the stuck nature of each character. And it, it doesn't happen all at once, this unsticking thing. It happens over time. And it doesn't happen because someone had one profound conversation with another person. It happens that way, but also as a part of a larger community. And if you parse through what I'm saying, you might be confused and you would be okay to be confused about this. You would wonder, is Jared talking about the church? Because you see, as the church looks at its holy texts from Genesis onward, there's this story about being stuck all the way through it and, and being then unstuck. That's the narrative that is capitulated from the beginning to the end, being stuck and then God finding ways to make God's people unstuck. It's no mistake that in Hebrew in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for Egypt is Mitzrayim, which means narrow place. Now, a map of Egypt looking down on the table, you will see a narrow river, uh, delta river area, right? The Nile Delta is green, it's narrow amidst the big desert. But metaphorically, it's a restricted space for the people of God as they sat under the heavy hand of a tyrant named Pharaoh as slaves. They were in the confined space. But what does God do? God frees them. God unsticks them. God liberates them through a servant named Moses and leads them from this, from this narrow place to the free place, the big place, the open space, the space flowing with milk and honey, the gifted land for the people of God. They go from constraint to flourishing. And that is the narrative that keeps happening all throughout Scripture. God is coming to work in this world to unbind that which is bound to fix that which is broken, and to get unstuck what was stuck. And sometimes for those of us pilgrims in that journey, we find that we become unstuck through individual conversations and through the wider community. You'd be mistaken if you didn't think that what Ted Lasso was really yearning for was actually the hope called the church, a place where people hear this message and through the love of each other, help to bring people into greater levels of flourishing. Take as proof our scripture for this morning, St. Matthew's Gospel. There's Jesus spending time with sinners. Now, we all sin, we can confess that. But there's the kind of sin that we have internally that people don't know about. When you show up to church, they can't see your sin because you're maintaining a fairly good public life. You maybe even dress nice today. You're kind to people. You do most stuff right. Truth is, there's that stuff on the inside maybe that people don't see. And we're all guilty of it. We all have sin. We all have brokenness. We're not whole yet. But that's not who he's talking to. He's hanging out with people who are outwardly seen as sinners. 
These are the traitors to society, the tax collectors. These are the people that other people point their fingers at and say, they are on the bad side of the aisle. They are on the bad side of the story. They're the black hats. And Jesus is with them and comfortably with them. And so people, religious people, do what they do. They complain. They throw righteous shade at Jesus. And Jesus says, what's all the rumpus? This is my translation. What's the rumpus? Don't you know, I, I, I'm not here if you don't need me. If you don't need forgiveness and salvation, if you don't need healing, if you don't need unstuck, I didn't come for you, by the way. If you can say that you, you're sitting where you're sitting right now and you're not stuck and you're completely healed and there's no sin and, and you're righteous, that's proof positive that there's a greater level of need in you than you realize. Jesus says, though, I came for the sinners. And then he doubles down in his metaphors and language. He goes, I came for the sick. I came for the sick. I came to save the sick. Now, it's interesting because when we think of salvation, we tend to think about something moral. We tend to think about having your will wiped away so that you can follow the will of God. Or maybe uh, that you have a new belief system, a new creedal statement you can put in your head. You believe the right things. You were once thinking this about the world. Now you're thinking this way about the world. And God says, this one's okay. And so now somehow in eternal salvation forever, some part of you will resist, persist and, and, and remain. But here Jesus says, I came to save the sick. It's interesting. Because in the ancient world, there is no dichotomy that you and I kind of imagine about the person. There is no brain and then body. There is no interior part of us and then an exterior part that's different. In the ancient world, we're just ourselves. We, we, we are both interior and exteriority. We are both spirit and flesh, and these are commingled without being able to separate. We are one person before God. And so, what God sees in Jesus Christ is people who are stuck, people who are broken, people who are in need. And by touching their lives, it is not just healing, it's salvation. Salvation isn't just about your soul. Salvation is holistic. Salvation is about the all of you, not just part of you. Which means, as we press that metaphor down further, and it's been used throughout church history, is that the church ought to be a hospital for sinners. A hospital for the sick, not a museum for the righteous. As if there were such a thing. A cold, lifeless museum full of not animated figures sitting there proper. Oh, it's, it's a hospital for people who need the care of a physician, for someone who wants to care for you in your innermost depths, who cares, knows you, knows exactly who you are and loves you anyway, and loves you too much to keep you that way, wants you to flourish, wants more for your life. That is what the church should be. 
Yet all too often, we buy into the illusion the church is really a place where we're supposed to be righteous. We're supposed to look the part. We are not allowed to make mistakes, or at least if we do, we're not allowed to share that we've made them. We're not to be vulnerable there. Where else if not here? I was once in a church service, and it was communion time. And like our church, communion was served in that church by volunteers. And in the back door came in somebody. They were a bit different than the rest of the congregation that day. They were clearly unhomed, and they had clear mental health problems. And I wondered what was going to happen as I stood up here as the people were serving down there. And I saw them go over and and quite lovingly and full of grace, they offered bread and cup to this person who happened in the doors. But on a moment's notice, the little powwow after the service uh, began to change from thinking about this grace that was offered. They began to ask, ask the question, so what do we do in the future if any such disturbance happens? What if another problem like that happens in the future? Do do you hear me? This concrete, irreplaceable person made in the image of God is a problem. And, And have you ever felt that way in church? Or have you ever seen churches act like that? Or how about you? Because the truth of the matter is this. I have. I've sat up here, I've stood here, I've walked around wondering how we can mitigate this future problem, which means somebody who may not mm, fit and look the part. The end result for one of the real problem solvers in the circle is, well, we need to send them down to the Salvation Army. They don't really belong here, per se. Oh, they needed church, they needed community. It's just not ours, because, you know, that might be hard. But if we follow what Jesus is saying, Jesus has come to make us into a people who are in a hospital, getting well together. And so many people instead find church as a place of judgment. They talk about all kinds of things they're dissatisfied with. They push off their anger onto other people. The church no longer has the right decorum. We change things the way, from the way it used to be. Or whatever reason, we find ways to poke and prod and point fingers and judge and shake our head. I think because it means that we don't focus, therefore, on our own stuff. But here's the thing. I've never met anybody in a hospital room who's sick under the care of a physician who wants to hear the patient across the room from them who's sick and in need of a physician. I've never heard that first patient wanting to hear the health advice of the other, from the other. Or I'll just tell you a story. I was once in an Irish pub with some young adults from church and this new person showed up and she sat across from my sister-in-law, my loving, beautiful, caring, smart, graceful sister-in-law. And this new person begins lecturing about health and vitality. She was talking about organic foods and natural foods, and that all made a lot of sense. And then there's a point where it got a little conspiratorial and then downright confusing to me. She started talking chemtrails. We had organic gardens at the church, and she wanted to put liquid silver on it. I don't even know what she's talking about. And we kept talking, and then she started talking about how you got to be careful not to play certain beats 
certain rhythmic beats in your home. She used to make beats herself. She was a DJ. You, you got to be careful making certain beats in your home because certain beats have a mystical quality to them and open up portals to the demon possession world and all this. And listen, I don't know everything, but every ounce of knowledge I have about theology, this is really baseless stuff. And it didn't make logical sense. But then she went on to pick apart my sister-in-law's meal choice. You ever sat with someone who's picking apart your meal choice? Picking it apart, telling her what she needed to do to thrive. And so later on, you know, I over-insert myself because sometimes I do that. Lord, forgive me for my sins. So I take my wonderful, gracious sister-in-law aside and I said, Hey, brother. We call each other brother. Hey, brother. I don't know if I'd really listen to that gal. Just, uh, just got some funny vibes. And she said, oh, yeah, clearly. She goes, the first moment she started speaking to me, I smelled all those cigarettes on her breath. And I thought, I ain't going to listen to what she's going to tell me about my health. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is, if this were truly a hospital for the sick as it really is supposed to be, then none of us, none of us have time to be casting shade on each other. So busy ought you to be with figuring out how to work with your physician on your health plan because you have a God revealed in Jesus Christ who sees you as stuck and wants to help you get unstuck. Now I am done playing the other kind of church. I'm in my 40s, I've been playing that other kind of church for 40 years and you're on notice, I'm done with it. I've been right up to the edge of life and I now know what's important. I always knew in a textbook sense, but now I know it right here. And what's important is that I get myself in with you. And we're all sick together looking to the grace of God to make us a people and to make us whole and to bring us into mutual flourishing. Amen? That was not a good enough amen. Can I get an Amen. I got a quarter I'll give you later. I went out with a friend the other day. My friend's in AA. I've never been to AA, but I know a lot about it because I've read about it. I've read books on it. I've seen a lot of it just even depicted in film, right? And I just, my heart broke because this person really wished the church were more like AA. And I do too. They told me that in Alcoholics Anonymous, there's no judgment. Someone tells their story, and it, it might be a wild one, but you're not going to judge because you know just how close you are to barely hanging on. Do you know how close you are to barely hanging on? There's no hierarchy people saying, well, I'm going to uh, coach down to you, or in the worst case scenario, punch down to you. There's people who put their arm around you, and they walk with you as you do things that are scary and hard, like making amends. They walk with you as you do your moral inventory. They walk with you as you try to understand what the higher power is. My friends, this is the church. This ought to be the church. It's the church that we are given. It's a message for Pentecost season, when God gives the Spirit and the Spirit gives the church a home. Who are you to be? We're the people to remember what Jesus has done for us.
And Jesus has come to us in our sickness and our brokenness and has given us health and will continue to be our physician and asks us to gather with those sick souls and walk this path together because we can't do it alone. Ted Lasso's right. You can get unstuck. I believe in this little thing called the Logos Spermaticos, which means the seed of the gospel. The idea theologically is that the seeds of the gospel can be found in any narrative because human beings are created to need it, to need the gospel story. So in all the stories, in all the myths, in all the creativity we tell, there's something in their yearning and begging for the gospel. I see it even in a silly show like this. People are looking to be cared for with a kindness, to be dignified, because they, like you, are patients in the journey. And the rising tide of health that comes from the love of God in Jesus Christ raises all ships.